The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Morning, church. It's great to see you. Uh, I got a little bit of the <clears throat> crud. I feel fine. I sound bad, so uh, I would say I look better than I sound, but you know. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm the lead pastor here, and I have the privilege of uh, opening the Word of God with you this morning, so I'm really thankful that you're with us. Um, there is a lot of that junk going around, a lot of people uh, under the weather with the flu and whatnot, so obviously we're thankful that we can live stream as well to those who might miss us. A couple of housekeeping items before we get to the scriptures. Uh, Last week, I told you about this uh, membership handbook. Um, If you're new to this church, um, Bent Creek and Missio Dei have come together as one congregation, and so we're using this series as basically a membership class. So uh, there are packets available on your way out these two doors. Um, We've got plenty. I I said last week we only made 40 copies, and like no one grabbed one, so they're available. Like we can always print more. Um, but you'll need this or the PDF on the website just to read through. Now, if you were a previous member of Missio Day, nothing in this has changed. If you were previously a member of Bent Creek and saw Missio Day's paperwork, nothing has changed. If you're new to either church, you, you need to read through this completely. The back two pages are your membership application, right? It's really just one page front and back. And that'll get turned in eventually uh, if you decide that you want to become a covenant member of this new congregation. So uh, that is available, PDF on the website or the paper copies on your way out, but you should grab that. Secondly, today at four uh, is our first family meeting. So we're going to give you some updates uh, on what's been going on with the merger, with the facility, all that kind of stuff, and, uh, and look to the future a little bit. So if at least one representative of your family can be there at four o'clock, that would be amazing. Um, it'll also, I hate to say this to the crowd, but it will also be live streamed for homebound members and those who can't be here, but uh, would love for you to be in the room. We'll have a Q&A time as well, and you can ask questions if you need to. Okay, if you got a Bible, and I hope you do, please open it to Luke chapter 14. I know the weekly says Matthew 6. That is my fault. We are going to be in Matthew 6, but for like a hot minute, and then we'll move on to Luke chapter 14. So you turn to Matthew 14, excuse me, Luke 14, Luke 14. While you're turning there, um, I'll just remind everyone, we're, we're now just three months into this journey of becoming one church. 90 days. Can you believe that? Not, I mean, November the 6th was our first gathering as one church, uh, and here we are, February the 5th, not three months into this, and the Lord has been so incredibly kind to us, hasn't he? So kind. And so we're taking this uh, first part of the year, and we're in this series looking to the scriptures to understand what kind of church we believe the Lord is calling us to become by his grace and for his glory. So if you've missed any of the weeks so far, this is week five of six. Uh, They're on the website or on YouTube uh, for you to listen or watch, and I would encourage you to do that. If you have trouble accessing that and need help, let us know, and we'll get you... uh, some, some version of it that you can go back and listen to. But um, so far, we've looked at the gospel and the call to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've looked at the call that Jesus gives us to love one another, that the world would know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. We've looked at 
Um, the, the call of Jesus t- that we would bear witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom, Acts chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the distinct culture that we're trying to create here in this church, a gospel culture. And today, what I want to do is I, I want to help us understand how that gospel culture bleeds out into the world and into our spheres of influence, okay? So we are, we are experiencing a gospel culture in this room, in this place together, and then how does that gospel culture sort of make its way out into the world in which we live? And that's where Matthew 6 comes into play. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, I think it's, it can be on the screen, um, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, we know this, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching on prayer. He says, regard the name of God as holy. Right? We get that. He's God, creator, sustainer of all things. He deserves to be worshipped as holy. And then he says, and ask for the kingdom to come. Ask for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God being nothing less than the power and the presence of God of the God of heaven, his power and his presence taking hold on the earth, his his rule and his reign spreading throughout the earth where sin is forgiven, where brokenness is healed, and where sorrow gives way to joy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus even says that we are to seek the kingdom So not just to pray for the kingdom, but to seek it, to desire it, to to set that as our target and our goal, that that we would be about the kingdom, seeking after the kingdom of God. And so that has led us to what some would call a vision statement. Now, here's my thing with vision statements. They're not bad, but I think in, in the evangelical church in the last, let's say, 50 years or so, um, we have commoditized and businessified the, the language of the church. And so there are countless books that have been written on you know, vision and strategy, and there are countless podcasts and stuff out there on church leadership, and those things aren't bad necessarily. But what I have found historically is that oftentimes those vision statements um, lack a direct connection to the words of Jesus. And they end up being about bigger and better and faster and more, and often at the expense of real, actual people. And I don't think Jesus smiles on that. So, so we have taken what some would call a vision statement, and we've said we're going to call it our holy ambition. It's a holy ambition. It is a desire. It's something we seek after, and it's something that Jesus told us to do, and so it's holy. Does it make sense? So it reads like this. Our holy ambition is to see lives transformed by Jesus until Western North Carolina looks like heaven. To see lives transformed by Jesus until This area, Western North Carolina, looks like heaven. And that raises a question, doesn't it? Well, how does that happen? (laughs) How do we do that, right? Well, Jesus, in the passage we're going to look at today in in, uh, Luke 14, shows us a way of living out kingdom values here and now that makes strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. And that's how this thing gets started. So if if you have your Bible open, look with me at Luke 14. And uh, I'm actually going to read verse 1, and then we're going to 
camp out in uh, verses 12 to 24. So let me, I don't think one will be up on the screen, but I'll read it and then we'll, we'll hit um, verses 12 to 24. I'll read it, pray, and we'll get going here, okay? It's awfully quiet this morning. You guys locked in? We good? Okay. All right. One Sabbath, when he, that's Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And he said, this is now verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you, will re, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. And they must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done. And there is still more room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you great thanks and praise for all that you have been up to in this congregation. And we desire for that to continue for us to stay low and humble before you, for us to um, stay in a posture of worship and openness to whatever your spirit wants to do through this church, that we would love you with everything we have, that we'd love one another as you have loved us, and that we would love the world that you have sent us into so that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. And so help us, Lord. Um, I don't know how many of us are familiar with this particular passage, but uh, let, let familiarity not breed contempt. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to put into action this word for your glory and for our good. We need you, Holy Spirit, I need you. Um, I pray right now that you would fill me to overflowing and that the words that are delivered to these people are what you desire for them to hear and nothing more and nothing less. There is too much on the line for us to waste time with the opinions of man. We need God. And so speak to us now, we pray, in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, I've got three really simple observations that I want to uh, make out of this passage. As you read it, as, we, as, as you heard it, you might have thought, what on earth does this have to do with the kingdom of God? I don't know where you're going with this. Um, and I don't either, so we'll find out together. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, 
So let me give you a little context here. Um, We saw this in verse 1. But Jesus is invited to the dinner, to a dinner at the home of a Pharisee. The Pharisees being these religious uh, leaders, the the sort of um, religious elite of the day. The text tells us they're watching him carefully, right? They're, they're, they're constantly trying to trap Jesus. And so they would often have meals with him or, or be around him, but they're trying to ask him questions or watch what he does, and, and they're looking for gotcha moments where they can cancel him, right? Because they hate what he stands for. And so Jesus comes in, and he, he sees the guests at this party. We see this in the first 11 verses that we kind of skipped over. He sees the guests at this party all sort of vying for places of honor. They're they're trying to sit in places they weren't invited to, and he's looking at the posturing and the pride of all these people who've been invited. It's kind of like if you've ever been, uh, if you've ever flown and like you're like zone seven, and you see people trying to board with zone two, and then they get they get pushed to the back of the line. You ever seen that happen, right? You're like, I want to be platinum, but I'm peasant level. I want to be, and and they won't let you on the plane, right? It's like that. He sees this happening, this posturing, and he says, look, it's better for the host to, to bring you up than for you to be shamed and then say, this isn't for you. you got to go back down. The point he's making here is, in the kingdom of God, it's the humble who are exalted. And those who exalt themselves will be humble. They'll be brought low. Jesus says this over and over again in other places, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last in the kingdom of God. Well, now he's got words for the host. So look again at verses 12 through 14 with me. He said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So I want you to see here is that the kingdom changes our perspective. The kingdom changes our perspective. Um, some of you might be worried about the fact that you've invited, you know, friends to your Super Bowl party next week, and I want to set you at ease, okay? Jesus is not um, criticizing the fact that you might have friends over for dinner here, okay? Here's what's happening. He's looking around this party, okay? All these people who've been invited are posturing. They're positioning themselves, trying to get places of honor. And Jesus is looking around. He says to the host, hey, you know what? Um, couple things. I see this house you've cleaned. It looks amazing. You got out the best china. You know, the, the spread here, you could take a picture of it and put it in a magazine or an Instagram post. This looks amazing. I just have one question. How come everybody at this party, the only people at this party, are people that you want to impress? In modern language, Jesus might say this. I'm looking around and like, where are the single moms? Where are the foster kids? Where are the folks in recovery? Where are the disabled? Where are the widows, the elderly? I don't see them at this party. I only see people that you think you can get something out of, that you can impress. Now, Jesus is exaggerating to make a point. That's why I say, don't be nervous about who you invited to Super Bowl, Okay. He's not against having friends over. A couple weeks ago, we looked at John 13 when he says, by this, all people will know you're my disciples, the way you love one another. So clearly, Jesus is okay with you loving other Christians and inviting them into your life and that kind of thing. But here's the reality. Jesus, he doesn't really care about who comes to your house for dinner. He's more concerned about your heart. And here's the issue at play. This world, this world is full 
of exhausted people who are trying their best to posture and position and prove themselves. And the motives, even for a lot of the good stuff we do, is often tarnished by our desire to be impressive. Our desire for reciprocation. So I'm going to do something good for you in the hopes that you will also do something better for me. Um, One of my friends put it like this. Help me help you help me. (laughs) But kingdom people... Kingdom people go out of their way to include those who, by the world's standards, bring nothing to the table. When Jesus mentions here the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, he's talking about a group of people, a representation of those whom the culture did not include, felt were unimportant. More importantly, they were ceremonially unclean. So for the religious Jews to spend time around crippled and lame and blind people would have made them unclean and they can't do that. These were societal outcasts with no value and no influence and no one to defend or protect them. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, those, in my kingdom, those people matter. And they're not just added to the end of the guest list, they're prioritized. There's an invitation to God's eternal feast. But that invitation is only for those who have nothing to offer but empty hands. And if you really stop and think about it, how beautiful is that? (laughs) Like, who wouldn't want a world where everyone matters because everyone is an image bearer of God? We all want that. But many of us want that kingdom without the king. Now listen, there there are all kinds of people in this city who woke up this morning feeling unimportant, unwanted, and like the misfit toy. It might be because of physical ailments, right? Diseases or disabilities. It might be because of mental health struggles, crippling anxiety, depression. I have a friend who's a a counselor at a a high school, local high school, and she put a post up yesterday about how these teenagers are struggling. Everyone feels like they don't belong, like they don't fit in with everybody else. Isn't that weird that everybody feels like they don't belong? (laughs) And they look at everybody else and go, well, they belong, but I don't. Like, we all have a sense of that. And today's teenagers are feeling that uh, acutely. But those of us who have experienced the welcoming heart of Jesus cannot help but be welcomers of others. Can we? There's this this story in 2 Samuel about um, Mephibosheth. I don't know if you've ever read that story, but um, I'll try to summarize it quickly. Uh, David becomes king, so Saul dies. David, who was the, the, the um, God-appointed king, he becomes king. Uh, David's best friend was Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and, and David and Saul were at odds, but Jonathan and David were best friends. Well, Jonathan has now passed away as well, 
And uh, when a new king would come into power, the typical protocol was to uh, kill everyone who was connected to that previous king. Okay? Just, it's like today we do like a whole cabinet swap, then they would just murder them all. So they find out that there's this son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth, and he uh, had a crippling injury as a child, and so he's, he's disabled. And David says, we need to find Mephibosheth. And so they go searching for him, and they find him. And when, uh, when, when David meets Mephibosheth, he, he's falling down on his face. He says, I, I'm a dead dog. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. And he thinks this is over for me. David came to find me. He's going to kill me, and it's done. And David says, no, 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 Mephibosheth. I came to bless you, not to harm you. I want you to sit at my table. And Mephibosheth says, um, why would you do this? And he says, it's, I'm doing this for the sake of your father, Jonathan. You see, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. You and I are the crippled, the lame, the broken, the poor. God comes to us, and he ought to just smoke us out. You know what I'm saying? He ought to... He ought to smite us because of all of our sin and rebellion against him. But he says, no, no, I want to bless you for the sake of your brother Jesus. We were the poor. We were the crippled. We were the blind. We were the lame. But our great king invited us in. And so we become people who are inviters, who are welcomers of all kinds of people for the glory of God. Is that making sense? Okay, now let's look on. So not only does the kingdom change our perspective, the kingdom changes our priorities. Look with me at verse 15. When one of those who had reclined at table with him heard of these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I must go out and see it. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. And another said, I've married a wife. So obviously, uh, my paraphrase. <clears throat> so we'll stop right there. The kingdom changes our priorities. Jesus is at this feast. He's just rebuked the guests and now the host of the party. He's a good time, Jesus. Um, and things are awkward, and there's tension in the air. You know, if you've ever been at a family dinner where politics or religion comes up, and people on both you know, two sides are sort of arguing back and forth, it gets tense, right? And then there's always that one guy who wants to make a joke and break up the tension in the air, and you're like, shut up, Carl. You know, like, leave it alone. And so here's this guy. Well, we're all going to feast in the kingdom. We'll all eat bread. And, and Jesus, in a roundabout way, says to him, yeah, except you're not going to be there. And so he tells this other parable about this party, about the feast of heaven. A man hosted this great feast, which was a massive ordeal in that time, right? You think it's hard putting on a big party now? Think about in the first century, okay? It took weeks to prepare. And so they would send out an RSVP well in advance. You would say, yes, I'm coming. Here's how many are on my list. And then the day of, as they got everything prepared, they would send out a servant and he would go to these individuals and say, it's all ready now. You can come and feast. And so they do that. 
They send out the servant. He tells them, on the day of the feast, it's all ready. Come, come and eat. And they go, hey, I can't come. And they have some pretty lame excuses. Okay? Which would have been massively offensive to the hosts of the party in that time. And Jesus says, this is a picture of the kingdom. We have been invited by grace into the kingdom of God, and everything has been done for us. Jesus has lived a perfect, sinless life that none of us could ever live, tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. He has died the death that we deserve, taking all of our sin and shame and guilt on himself, absorbing the just wrath of God in our place, and turning that wrath into favor towards us. Jesus died and rose again, conquering sin and death and hell for us. He has poured out his spirit upon us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's all been done. And so here's an epic party. It's a kingdom party. And everybody knows ain't no party like a kingdom party. I'll let you finish that one. The Lord of hosts is the host of the party. Death has been swallowed up. He's wiping away tears. The best food, the best wine, it's all available. The invite list is crazy. Abraham's there. Moses. Jonathan. David. Calvin. Luther. Charles Spurgeon. I think he's DJing, probably. <laughs> Billy and Ruth are there. You want to come to this epic kingdom party that God himself is throwing? I can't. Why not? Well, I bought a field. <laughs> and I got to go look at it. Which is like the lamest excuse ever. And this is the other guy, right? Well, I bought some cattle. I mean, this is like... Okay, I know we have like Carvana now, but most of the time, you would never buy something without looking at it first. Especially in the first century. Okay? This other guy. We've got this amazing party. Right? We got like... Well-aged Kobe beef, and we got the, right, all the things you want. You want to come to the party? No, I bought some oxen. I got to go look at them. Huh. Uh, no, no one would buy land or buy oxen, which were the equivalent of like industrial machinery of the day. You wouldn't buy them without inspecting them first. Because you don't know if those oxen are like healthy and strong or if they're like three-legged and one-eyed and... Can't plow straight, right? You gotta inspect him first, so why go now? Third guy, we can sort of understand his dilemma. <laughs> I just got married. I got a honeydew list. You know, I can't come. But he, he, the point Jesus is making is who on earth does not have time to consider eternity? This invitation into the kingdom of God is extended to all, but the point Jesus is making is that some will not come because they love something more than Jesus. It might be true for us. Now, you might be able to pass the theology exam. You might have a pretty good moral record. Um, you might get a Sunday school award for attendance. And be as far away from Jesus as the heroin addict down the street. Because attendance and your knowledge of theology 
do not bring you into the kingdom of God. Only receiving the invitation of Jesus brings you into the kingdom of God. We may love some things more than we love Jesus himself, and we will not enter the kingdom. It may be true of people that we share our faith with. And, and the reality is, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time I have found when I share my faith with people, that it is not legitimate theological hang-ups that they have, it's lame excuses. Well, Sunday's my only day to sleep in. Because, you know, every other day I gotta get up at like nine, so I'm gonna sleep in on Sundays. It, I go to brunch with my family every Sunday, I can't go to church. Oh, I've read the Bible one time and it didn't make any sense to me, so I'm out. You know, it's that kind of stuff. It's just lame excuses. Kingdom people align their priorities with the priorities of the king. I'll say that one more time. Kingdom people align their priorities with the priorities of the king. You say, what are the priorities of the king? I'm glad you asked. If you go back to Matthew 5 and 6, and seven, we find what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is articulating what a kingdom culture is supposed to be. Okay? Um, we value meekness and gentleness. <clears throat> I'll just turn here and run through a, little, a few of them here. Poverty of spirit. You know the middle class and spirit don't get into the kingdom? <laughs> The meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who, he goes on to say, love their enemies, um, who, who pray in dependence to the Lord, who fast, who give. Of themselves, And they're not doing these things to earn a spot in the kingdom. They're doing these things because the kingdom is theirs. It's very different. There's, there's no earning your way into the kingdom of God. But for those who have been welcomed into the kingdom, they will value what the king himself values. Kingdom people align their priorities with the priorities of the king. When Jesus said... In Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom. He wasn't telling us to do something unusual because everyone is already seeking something and everyone is already seeking something first. All over this town, every single day, there are enormous amounts of energy put into working and creating and building and, and achieving. Okay, People are seeking and everyone has something that's the most important thing in their life. Everyone is seeking something first. What Jesus is doing when he says seek first the kingdom is he's redirecting our energies towards the only real fulfillment and satisfaction that there is to be had in this world. So that instead of being driven by anxiety and that nagging feeling that we are not enough, we are driven by his promises and his assurances. 
kingdom people align their priorities with the priorities of the king. How we doing so far? Good? All right. So quiet today. Last thing I want to show you, and I'll be done, probably, is uh, the kingdom changes our purpose. The kingdom changes our purpose. Look at verse 21 with me. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. I love that line. Still there is room. And so the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges. I always think, oh, brother, where art thou? In the highways, in the hedges. And compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of the men who are invited shall taste my banquet. The kingdom changes our purpose. Here's what I mean. So here's Jesus with all these religious folk who are wearing themselves out trying to be impressive. And they are, on the one hand, proud and self-satisfied, but on the other hand, also insecure and posturing. And they are totally obsessed with themselves. And yet they're confident that they're in. (laughs) That they're in the kingdom of God because of their performance and their religion. And Jesus says, the kingdom is only for those who know they deserve to be out. If you think you deserve to be in, you're probably out. And if you know you should be out, welcome in. It's the upside down kingdom. That's what he says in verse 24. I tell you, none of the men who were invited shall taste my banquet. See, the, the original promise was for the Jews, right? These, these specific people who rejected him. That they had, they had received the first invitation of the law and the prophets, and they had rejected the second invitation, which was Christ himself. So he says, they don't get in. I'm going to open this thing to everybody else now. So go get all the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, and they bring them all in. All the people that the religious folks passed on their way into the party, they're now in the party. (laughs) And these religious folks are out. And the servant says, but there's still room. There's still room for more people. So he says, okay, go out to the highways and the hedges. Now, most commentators believe this is a reference to the Gentiles, those who had no religious, traditional Jewish upbringing, who were considered the uncleanest of the unclean to the Jews. Go get them. They're invited. Even them. Our world is, more often than not, proud and selfish and cold and calculating and skeptical and aloof. But kingdom people love to make strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. We live with a sense of purpose as ambassadors for Christ because we know there is still room. And so we carry with us this invitation to this epic, eternal feast because our king wants his house full. I've told you this story before, but it bears repeating for some of you that haven't heard it. Um, 
uh, a pastor that I know in Florida. He was on vacation around the Savannah area. And they heard of this restaurant. And some of you, I've talked to a few of you who've been to this restaurant. It's called the Old School Diner. It's just outside of Savannah. And you go down this little dirt road, and it kind of looks like you're driving into a trailer park. So you're like, food's going to be amazing. And so you turn the corner, and here's this old ramshackle building with all kind of junk hanging off of it. And carpets, like, like carpets that have been pulled out of mobile homes and houses and stuff are just lining the parking lot. And you're like, what am I getting into? And so they pull up, my, uh, my pastor friend and his wife, they pull up to the, to the uh, parking lot there. And all of a sudden, the screen door swings wide open and Chef Jerome is there. Big, burly African-American guy with his chef hat on. He goes, my family is here. I already put in the hush puppies when I saw you coming down the road. Come on in, family. And he puts his arm around both of them, and he welcomes them into his restaurant, and he introduces them to all the other staff who were there at the restaurant. Look who came. My family's here. He's never met these people. My family, my family, you came. And he sat them down at their table, and he welcomed them in. And, and, um, and this pastor I know, he said, that man was a picture of the face of God that day to me. Now, what would it look like if an entire church decided to live with that kind of purpose? That when we come in these doors, we're not like avoiding people and hoping no one talks to us. We're actually looking for people we can swing the doors open to and say, my family is here. Even if you've never laid eyes on them before. And not just here, but wherever we go that we would go as a picture of the face of God to others. Invitation in hand to this epic kingdom feast that our king is about to host. Compelled by the love of Christ for us to compel others to come in. (laughs) So y'all don't want to miss this party. God has done amazing things here in the last three months, hasn't he? And there are a handful of people who are like this close to come into faith in Jesus, who are with us week in and week out, and and God is speaking to them, and, and they are figuring this whole church thing out, and the culture we create here matters, Right? We don't want to betray the doctrine we believe by the culture we create. That's what we talked about last week. Our future is incredibly bright. But if we want God's hand of blessing to remain on us, we must, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. Get our eyes off of ourselves and what we want and what we need and be looking around at others. Who can I be the face of God to today? And so we take the beauty that we are experiencing here together and we take it out to wherever we go with a welcome from Jesus so that anyone, anyone who will receive that invitation with the empty hands of faith will get a seat at the eternal table. And person by person, soul by soul, lives begin to be transformed by Jesus. And we start to 
live out kingdom values. And it changes the way that we work at our jobs. It changes the way that we manage people. It changes the way that we interact with our spouses. It changes the way that family dynamics happen. And so person by person, lives are transformed. And then family by family, families are transformed. And sooner or later, before you know it, the culture is changing. And house by house and neighborhood by neighborhood, Western North Carolina is starting to look a little bit more like heaven every single day. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> what do we have to lose, guys? <laughs> what do we have to lose? Let's aim for that. Let's strive for that with everything we have. Let us seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. All right, I got three questions. We're going to put up on the screen for you really quickly, and then uh, we'll move into a time of response. We've got a couple changes to that I'll let you know about in a second. You can write these down uh, if you want to, or you can uh, take a picture when uh, they're all up. But first question is, do I know the Lord of the Feast? Do you belong to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ? Um. There is no shame in coming to the realization that you don't actually belong to him. And if, if you're going to be anywhere and come to that realization, I think in church is probably the best place for it. You can come to him today. You can come to him right in your seat. You can say, Jesus, I thought I knew you, but I don't. But I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. I repent of my sin. I turn to you. Save me. And he'll do it right there where you sit. Do I know the Lord of the feast? Do I know that I am in the kingdom? I know I don't belong in the kingdom. But by his grace, he has welcomed me in. Or do I sit there with arms folded, proud, saying, well, of course I deserve to be in the kingdom. Or aloof, like I don't care about the kingdom. Oh, it matters. Second, where do I struggle to embrace the values of the kingdom? So as we talked about a little bit last week, in all of us, right, there's a mismatch between the things we say we believe and the way that we live, right? And so identifying those is really helpful. Where do I struggle to embrace some of the values of the kingdom? My priorities being aligned with the priorities, priorities of my king, um, going out of my way to welcome people who, who bring nothing to the table by the world's standards, right? Um, making strangers into neighbors, neighbors into family for the glory of God. Looking at the Sermon on the Mount, right, and how, what Jesus calls us to, to be as a people. Where's the mismatch? Where do I struggle to embrace those? And then how, that just gives you prayer points, right? Lord, I, I, I want to live out these values, but I don't help me, change me. It's, only, it's an inside-out change that he has to make and then third, how can remembering the gracious welcome of Jesus free me to be a picture of the face of God for others? When I, when I remember who I am and who I was apart from Christ and what he has done for me and how he has graciously welcomed me into his kingdom without the need to perform or prove myself, 
right? Purely by his grace, the finished work of Christ, received with the empty hands of faith. When I remember that welcome, how does that free me and empower me to want to be the face of God for others? To be gracious and, and joyful and um, kind and welcoming. Okay. So I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen for you to uh, consider as we move into our time of response. Um, we do three things here in response to what we've received from the Lord. Uh, first is communion. We're going to do that a little bit differently today, so I'll explain that in a second. Uh, secondly is giving, and then thirdly is singing. So we're going to have the band come and lead us in a few songs. So um, today, as, as a remembrance um, of the feast that we are invited to, we're going to try this for the month of, um, for the month of November. We're going to have people actually serving the elements to you. Okay? You're still going to come down, uh, but there will be four stations. So basically one at each aisle here. Okay, So you guys on these two rows, you're going to come into that side. If you're over here and over here, you can come here. You guys and then you guys. Boom. Okay? Does it make sense? The back, these uh, side two walls are going to be for you going back to your seat. Okay? So everyone will come into these four middle aisles. Okay? You'll come to one of the stations that's here. There will be someone there with, with the bread and they're going to say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. You're going to move over to the wine or the juice, and they're going to say, this is the blood of Christ spilled for you. And, um, and then you're going to take those elements, and then you'll wake, make your way to the walls, and you'll go up and back to your seats. Does that make sense? Okay? We're going to try this. Um, we're going to start at the back and move our way forward. Okay? So back rows, I'll tell you when you're dismissed. You can come down, and then the next row can go, and so forth. <clears throat> on your way back to your seat, there are these black boxes, or maybe on your way out, there's the giving boxes. If you're new around here and want to be known, there's connect cards. You can write those, uh, uh, fill out, out, put it in the boxes. If you're a regular and you want to give towards the work of the kingdom here, you can do that. If you have prayer requests, you can fill out the back of that card, put it in there as well. Um, and then the band's going to come lead us in a couple songs, and I will get out of here. Communion is a reenactment of the feast that was offered by Jesus at great cost to himself. And so we come to these tables with empty hands, the entire cost of our salvation borne by Jesus himself. And so we're going to take a moment of silence. I'm going to pray for you. Um, even though we're on the front, we'll get up first, and that'll be the signal that these back rows are open. You can make your way down. Uh, communion servers can make their way down right now. And um, let me pray for us. Father, Thank you so much for your kindness to us uh, over these last three months. And as we look towards our future together, we are incredibly excited for all the potential that lies ahead. Um, but we know that we must stay humble before you, open to your directive and obedient. And so by grace, would you help us to um, be the people that you call us to be as we think today about being the face of God for others, to show them the love of Christ in such, um, in such meaningful ways. We can't do that on our own. We don't even want to do that on our own. So Holy Spirit, will you help us to become this kind of people so that your kingdom extends and that um, the table gets filled. When we celebrate in eternity, there will not be an empty chair among us. Lord, we love you. 
because you loved us first. And so now as we respond through communion, through giving, through singing, would you be honored and glorified? Would you fill us with joy in your presence? In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen.